Um, tonight, justice. Wow, this could be a three-parter. Uh, <laughs> this is really big, and it's a difficult one. Uh, when I was little, um, in, in, in the 30s, um, I grew up in Associated Gospel Churches of Canada, which is somewhat of a reaction from Methodism and, and a few other uh, congregations uh, that started to meet together because there was this huge emphasis on, on social gospel. And with the emphasis on social gospel, uh, that sometimes was done apart from uh, living a righteous, holy life before God and a holy God. And, and one would be given up for the other and vice versa. So I equate that, that even, even in my, some of my Bible college years, um, lived in a reaction to what was happening socially, so a reaction to justice. Um, we as humans are horrible that we live in pendulum swings. Uh, something happens on this way, and we're like, oh, we, 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 can't, we can't get near that, so we, we react by going way down the spectrum on it. I, I laugh at some of our, our sister provinces. Um, uh, you, you see this in, in some of the political realms. Uh, one day they will vote orange and have an orange government for a number of years, and then in reaction they go way down the spectrum to this way. Christians, we can be involved with that too, and we have to watch it. So justice. When we think of justice, all, things, all kinds of things come into mind, depending where you are uh, in your faith and also politically. So you get that cult, cancer, cult, cancel culture aspect of it, where if you say the wrong thing, the social justice warriors will come after you, and you'll find yourself canceled. And we've seen this with some people um, stating, um, making statements in the media, especially on Twitter. And I'm not sure why they give a care what Twitter says, because most of Twitter is fake, meaning that there are what they call bots. They just plug them into the computer, and they create the tweets and everything, and no one's really there. We just saw cancel culture at work in Toronto. Um, there was a replacement for Michael Ford, who just got elected in, uh, into the Ontario government in the last Ontario election. The lady that was picked for it was a lady that went to a, an evangelical Salvation Army church. And apparently she made some tweets or comments on social media uh, regarding gay marriage and the homosexual lifestyle, which to, she was automatically created to be homophobic and a horrible person. And within, and these are things that were put out 20-some-odd years ago on the Internet. And uh, within two or three hours of her being sworn in as a uh, member of the city council, she was being denounced by John Tory and everybody else, and she resigned. And that was, despite everything she'd done for the community, all that she could bring to it, because she had a disagreement in, in gay marriage, she was out the door and gone. Then we think of Lady Justice, who should have a blindfold on, because the concept in Western civilization for years is that is justice is blind to whether you're rich or poor white or black or any shade in between. And so there are some people that hold to that. And then we have our League of Justice. So we get Batman. We think of those people that run around and, 
and, and stand up for the law. And then, of course, we have our police force and we have our court system. And then we have those quiet protests that take place every so often where people march in the streets demanding justice. So you may fall into any one of those categories when that word is heard. You may think of some of those things that happen within our own culture. And all of them are forms of justice. If we were to look at the definition according to Webster's, then we're looking at someone who would maintain, um, would look after the administration of what was just, so you can read it there, that, that especially by being impartial. So they're impartial in either adjustment or a conflict claim. They could be uh, assignment of merit or awards or punishment, so they would sort of mete out justice. That idea of being a judge in a courtroom, of saying, what's right, what's wrong, who's in, who's in the good and who's out the door with this, and also the administration of law. That's the idea of justice, that this is what the law says and you've broken it, therefore justice demands that this punishment be given to you. So we have all kinds of definitions and things in the English language to speak of justice. It could be the establishment or determination of rights according to the rules of law or equity, it's that whole system of justice. Um, I like a couple of the examples. Um, I question the justice in their decision, and you'll hear people say that. Was it a fair decision, what they were talking about? Was it fair and what happened to them? Um, or you could be a fugitive from justice. Someone was talking about Smokey and the Bandit before the sermon tonight. I was surprised they're so young that they even knew what it was. Um, must have been their dad that let him watch it. Uh, but in regards to that, um, a fugitive from justice. And some of you will remember The Fugitive, the movie and the television show from the 60s where he was trying to prove that there was really a one-armed man and that he didn't kill his wife. Richard Kildare, wasn't it? I think of... Pardon? Kimball. Thank you. Kimball. See? Even some young people. She's not that old. <laughs> so we have those. Then we get the idea, the principal ideal of just dealing or right actions with people. Um, so you often hear this, especially from kids at school. That's not fair. That's not, and they're, they're meaning that's not just. That's not what should happen. And for those who have taught school, they probably heard that a lot. Did you not, Greg? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what was your answer? Oh, <laughs> I just tell people life isn't fair. <laughs> ah, okay, good. Same answer from you to your kids? Yes, and aren't, aren't, we all, aren't we all thankful as Christians we don't get what's fair for us? Uh, we'd all be in trouble. So, for example, the justice of their cause or the righteousness of someone's cause, or they admit there was much justice in these observations, that there was, you judged correctly what was happening. And then we have that concept of the quality or conforming to the law um, of truth, fact, correctness, 
all those fit in well with that. So there's a definition for social justice, and this has changed over the years. So Winston Churchill once said, a state or doctrine of egalitarianism that cause the causes of human freedom and of social justice. There's another one there, promote the common good and social justice. So at one time when we talked about social justice, we would mean this, a belief in human equality, especially with the respect of social, political, and economic affairs. Sort of like the, the lady justice, holding out the scales of justice with the blindfold on that it was good for everybody. Everybody benefited because she was blind, whether you were rich or poor, white or black, liberal, conservative, so whatever. Um, a social philosophy advocating the removal of inequalities among people. So that concept, so Western society in the United States and Canada was built on that concept of an equal playing field that you and I are all going to start at the same spot and you make of it what you can. Agreed? That's where Western society was built on? Because this is important for understanding uh, concepts of biblical justice important for where we are today. This has changed. So if you're scratching your head, and I'm not a huge expert in this, but if you're scratching your head and saying, I don't understand what's going on, it's because they've changed definitions and they've changed what it means from what I grew up in and from those that are older than me grew up with, definitely, because you're the ones that taught me this. So it's all changed. Here's an example. So they think in reality, this is what life looks like. There's somebody that's, and these are all baseball games. I have lots of questions because they come up with these strange things. I have questions why the kids didn't pay for the baseball game. How come they're cheating and looking over the field fence? Uh, there's all kinds of questions. But the first one, they talk about reality. And in reality, there's the one taller kid is privileged, and he has all the boxes. And there's the next kid down, tall, the middle kid, it's as far as height goes. He's got one box, so he can barely see over the thing. But there's this one child down at the bottom that he, everybody's against him. He's oppressed. He, can't even, he has to look through a crack in the fence. Then they talk about equality. And equality meaning everybody gets a box and what you do with it is up to you. But still with equality, only two of the three can see over the fence and watch the ball game going on. Then they talk about equity. Everyone gets the support they need, which produces equity. So the little kid needs two boxes to see over the fence. He gets two boxes. The middle kid can see better if he has one box, so he keeps his one box, and the other person doesn't need a box. That's equity. So if you're scratching your head watching the riots take place and all that's taking place, when we talk about this system, we have moved from, when I was young, it was everybody gets a fair starting point. That's why we had student loans and student grants, so that not just the wealthy got to school, but everybody could get to school. Then we moved to this concept of equality. That was that. And then we moved to this concept of equity. It started to change. And what it changes is they are looking for equal outcomes. So if you're scratching your head watching interviews on TV, it's because these people are after equal outcomes. And this is, we're not going to get too political because that can go down a whole rabbit hole itself. 
Now we've moved to this other lens where we don't even want equal outcomes. We just want to remove all the barriers so there's no barriers, there's no fence anymore, and, and that's justice. We removed all the barriers. That's where it's gone. But we need to understand biblical justice. So some last comments on this. Equality or equity, which is better? Equality provides the same resources. We talked about that. It provides that sort of level playing field. Equity is a little bit different. Equity means in the same manner as the term designed to appeal to the natural human tendency towards fairness. So we want to be fair, right? And we talked about that with kids. We want to be fair. So we, we create this equity. And, and in the West, we didn't have equity. So churches in the West scratch their heads going, what's going on? Well, we had equity before the law, and we had equality of opportunity, but we didn't promote equity, meaning we're all going to end up in the same spot. So equity is a whole different ballgame, um, and it, it wants us to have equal measures that when someone finishes education or socially or occupational, there's equality, that, that everybody has the same equity that they finish at the same point is where we've gone now. So that's just a little bit of an overview. So as believers, when we watch what's happening outside our, our living room door and our kitchen door, and we see the ruckus and we hear the language, make sure you understand what they're saying. And if you're scratching your head some days, you're with most people. So we need to look at what the Scripture says. So Scripture is a little bit different. So what, what does justice? Because... In Scripture, and again, I won't pull too much political, but we've, we've had people go through this. In Scripture, um, both sides are wrong, because that's not what Scripture says. <laughs> so there's, there's this medium, um, and I won't even say if one side's closer to the right point or not, but uh, there's, there's problems with both sides. So there's a whole bunch of words in, in, in the Old Testament. So this week is just going to be Old Testament. There's a whole bunch of words in the Old Testament that represent what we talk about, just, justice, judging. This is one of them. Tzadak, uh, tzadak, to justify. It occurs about 40 times in the Old Testament. To have a just cause, to be right, to be justified, to declare or make righteous. So we would understand that from a New Testament point of view, that when we come to faith in Christ... God declares us righteous through what Christ did for us. So again, can be justice or righteousness in conduct and character, to be made right, uh, to do or bring justice, that concept of administrating law, to justify, to vindicate the cause, to save someone. You can justify someone's self. So there's a whole bunch of terms in regards to what it means for the word justify. This is just one of them. In the NASB, since I know some people at the church like NASB, it is rendered this way, Acquit, acquitted, declare your right, do justice, give him justice, just, justify, justifies, justify, justifying, lead, the right, lead to the righteous, made you appear righteous, properly restored, proved right, proved righteous, right, righteous, vindicated, vindicates. So one word has this broad, rich meaning in the Hebrew. 
Closely related to that is tzaddik, righteous. It's used 197 times, and it's translated just, lawful, righteous, righteous in government, just or right in one's cause, just or righteous in conduct and character, righteous as justified and vindicated by God, right, correct, lawful. So you'll find that one 197 times. This is why doing some word studies when you do your scripture is great. So let's look at some scriptures where these words are used and some others. Proverbs 29, 7. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor, and a wicked man does not understand such knowledge. So what of our Proverbs? A righteous man knows the rights of the poor, a wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Now to our wonderful colors, and here's what we get. So a righteous man, that's tzaddik, uh, tzaddik, and just, lawful, righteous. So a lawful or just man knows the rights, judgment, cause, plea. So he knows what should happen with somebody who's poor. So poor can mean poor, weak, thin, or one who is low. So it could be speaking, and, and, and they all fit, because if you're poor, you usually don't have enough resources for yourself. And oftentimes, you, it's not even just money. Somebody who's poor or lowly doesn't have enough what we call social equity either. So when people use the term social equity, Scripture talks about it here. I think when we do the term social equity, we're talking about people who just don't have the connections. So sometimes it takes more than just money and education. It's those connections. So when, when you graduate from school or finish up a trade, you don't have to be wealthy, wealthy with money. But if you have a little bit of money and you have the connections, it's easier for you to find work. In this case, the lowly or the poor, a righteous person understands this. A wicked person or a criminal, a criminal man does not understand or discern or consider such knowledge. He doesn't have this perception or skill, discernment, understanding. He, it's not of his concern. He just can't understand that. But when the righteous man looks at someone poor, he judges them and he understands how to deal with them and how to work with them. So, a righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. I like this. A righteous person is genuinely concerned with the rights of the poor or powerless. This type of concern demands an investment of time, resources to fight injustices. The wicked are self-absorbed, not concerned that others may need help. That in itself in Proverbs is a pretty powerful statement to us as the church, if we really understand that that we need to be genuinely concerned for the rights of the poor, those that are powerless. And later on, Scripture will define what they mean by powerless. This type of concern actually demands that we do something, and it's going to take time and resources. So it means coming alongside of somebody and helping them out. And that could be somebody in the church, somebody in the community, somebody that you rub shoulders with. Uh, those that have been teachers probably did a lot of that. You would see that, and you, you, you reach down, and you, you try to help. 
I know doing finances, I ran into this all the time and had to do advocacy work. I remember doing advocacy work for a gentleman, most generous, carefree, nice guy you'd ever meet. Um, not all there, but a nice guy. And uh, they sold him a furnace package. The only problem is the house he lived in didn't have a furnace. Um, <laughs> but they sold him a furnace package. So it was advocating with him back to, I wasn't relying, I forget which energy company it was. And they removed it for him and sent him his money back uh, because he was taken advantage of by a salesperson. Now, I was being paid to do that, but it took some time and some effort. That's what it talks about, that when you and I walk together in, in Lampton Shores and Forest at the church here, and we see somebody like that, Proverbs 29, 7 says, the righteous person sees this and he's going to do something about it. The wicked criminal person is self-absorbed. Not, it's not on his radar. Um, I like what uh, Mr. Buswell said. One's relationship with God shows up in his attitude to the needy. I really think there's some truth in that, that in our relationships with people and, and getting to know people and spending time with people, when we see people in need, we can either turn our back on them or we turn and, and, and try to help. And if we recall correctly, we were in the greatest need. We weren't in need of just food and water. We were damned to hell, and God stepped in with his son, Jesus Christ, and when we turn to him in faith to the whole, through the Holy Spirit's prodding in our hearts, we were taken out and rescued from that predicament, sort of snatched from the flames and set on a different path. And for that, we're thankful. And now we need to deal with those around us that are needy in other ways and show them love. And you never know what that will mean to somebody and on their walk or possible walk towards God in faith and how the Lord will use that. So I had earlier said cross-reference to Job 29. So let's go over to Job 29. So in Job 29, the context in Job 29 is Job's appeal to God, um, sort of looking back to the good old days, his good old days, when he felt that God watched over him, when he thought he was very well-respected. So the question is, why was Job so well-respected? You know, he was, he was like, Lord, why is all this happening to me? I, I, I miss the days when it seemed like you watched over me all the time and, and everybody respected me, and, and now I have friends that talk trash to me, and it's just not going very good here. So Job 29, starting in verse 11. When the ear heard, it called me blessed. When the eye saw, so he said, when people heard about me, they called me blessed. When people saw what I was doing, when the eye saw, it approved, because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless or orphan who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. So who did Job work with? Job worked with the poor, those in need. He worked with those that were fatherless. 
And he worked with those who he saw that were perishing or in trouble and the widow. And he had justice. He would work and help those people. And, and as he said, the widows would sing for joy. So here in verse 14, as we continue on in that one, we see which righteous and justice are actually could have been translated the same way because in Hebrew they would have been. Um, one, uh, the, the green being the mishpat, which we haven't seen yet, which is another type of justice. So I put on righteousness or justice or rightness. So I put on my righteousness and it clothed me. My justice or ordinance of justice or judgment was like a robe and a turban to me. So it clothed him, his whole concept of justice. I was eyes to the blind. So he continues, who else does Job help? He was eyes to the blind. He was working with those that couldn't see. Feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I searched out the cause, very similar to what we saw before, the cause of whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey in his teeth. He stood against oppression. That's hard sometimes for us to hear. We think of the spiritual oppression and the spiritual needs, and and I'm not saying the church needs to be involved in politics per se, but if there's oppression taking place, Christians, believers, should be one of the ones standing up and saying, hey, this isn't right. Something needs to be dealt with. And that's on an individual basis. We should be saying, hey, wait a second. So here it says, I broke the fangs of the unrighteous. I made him drop his prey from his teeth. So what did justice and righteousness do for Job? He got involved in the lives of people around him. And if there was something happening that wasn't correct, he stood up for them. He became a voice to those that could not voice for themselves. We've all met that type of person. They're great people, but they just unable to advocate for themselves. And they need somebody stronger to come along and say, here, let me walk this journey with you. Let me help you. Okay? We're doing that as a church, as a congregation as a whole, with the two Ukrainian families. They were stuck refugees coming out of a war looking for a place to go and we became a voice for them we became that that would help them in their need proverbs 17:15 is another one he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike in abomination to the lord okay So he who justifies the wicked. So this is that concept of to make appear. So who who takes somebody and makes them appear to be righteous or someone righteous. So he who justifies the criminal and condemns the righteous. So we go back to one of our words for just, lawful, righteous, are both like an abomination to the Lord, a disgusting thing. So one thing the Lord doesn't like is someone who would say to the wicked, oh, you're doing great, everything's fine, 
and then condemns the righteous for what's going on. That's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. Does that sound like some sort of world some people might live in? Because I know when I look at it, it sounds like the world I live in. That we justify... Even the Roe versus Wade and all that's fallen out of that over this past weekend, he who justifies the wicked, and then they condemn the righteous. So the one that can't cry out for themselves and, and, and the excuses to why you can kill a child is just unfathomable. It really is. And I had to turn the news off this week. It was just too much to listen to. It's like, really? Oh, I might lose my figure so I can't have a baby. It's like, oh, Makes me mad. All right, let's move on to Isaiah 1. This is another one where you see it. Isaiah 1. I think there's four verses here. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, and there's part of the verse is missing. <laughs> they shall be like wool. Okay, we'll get to that. I'm sure I have it in the next one. So here was a general indictment um, by Isaiah back to Judah and her failure to follow the Mosaic law. That's what was happening here. So, when you spread out your hands, so that's kind of like this, and it's, it's, the, it's like a call or an idea for asking help. So when you spread out your hands, right? Um, think of a little child. I know your son does this because I see him do this. He'll be running through the halls, and he'll like, up, up, or he wants something, and he'll, he'll, they put their hands out like this, right? Logan puts his hands out like that. that that's common. I want some help. When you spread your hands out for help, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not or nothing, I'm not going to hear them. Your hands are full of blood. Guilty, blood-stained hands. I always think of Hamlet. Was that Macbeth where she tries to scrub the spot out and it's really not there and she scrubs and scrubs, she's out spot and she can't get it out. So that's what they are. They're guilty. That's the idea here. Wash yourselves. So the idea of bathe yourselves, wash yourselves, make yourself in that concept of clean or pure. Make yourselves pure. By why? Remove or turn aside, depart from the evil or badness. Turn apart from the badness of your deeds or practices from, from before my eyes Cease to do evil. Cease to be bad. S cease, stop, desist. Don't go any farther. I, I can't help. I was in a, I was in a seminar this week online uh, on some church stuff, and I was laughing because the one guy said, I learned my counseling from Bob Newhart. What? And, and there's this little skit. And somebody goes into Bob Newhart, 
and they're having this problem and explains the problem and and he says he usually counsels people in five minutes or less and it costs five dollars and he says well get out a pen and paper i i want you to write it down should i write it down yeah you can write it down if you want but most people can remember it she says okay what are they stop it <laughs> and the whole skit was the rest of him saying stop it whatever she was doing wrong just stop it no no we don't go there no excuses and but that's what the lord's saying here stop stop the evil stop the badness just stop it verse 17 learn to do good to seek justice again mishpat talking about the ordinance deciding a case place in court seek seek what's right um correct so that means to go straight so you're going to make straight the oppression or the oppressor the ruthless one you're going to bring justice another word for justice to governor so you're going to you're going to judge or governor or vindicate the fatherless or the orphan and you're going to plead the widow's cause justice demands action and that's what isaiah said to them in judah you need to be looking after the fatherless you need to be looking after the orphan you need to deal with the ruthless person justice demands action goes a little further verse 18 come so go walk come now please pray come now i pray let us reason together let us correct it let us reprove let's rebuke let's become right says the lord though your sins and i love this sins are scarlet red and crimson they shall be white as snow they shall become like wool God once again shows his has said his loving kindness even though Judah had completely ignored the covenant and had walked away from it he says to them come let us reason together let's talk about this and I'll show you my loving kindness if you're going to turn from your evil ways and come back to me in Psalm 82 God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods he holds judgment how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked selah give justice to the weak and the fatherless maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute rescue the weak and the needy deliver them from the hand of the wicked let's go through that really quick interesting in there god is elohim it's the plural God has taken his place in the mighty council, uh, the congregation of the gods, the however you want to put it, in the midst of the gods, and its Elohim is used again, this time not a reference to God Almighty, but just a general reference. He holds judgment. There's another word that's used for justice at time. <clears throat> in the midst, entrail, so in the middle. So amongst all these gods, he set up this council, and he is going to rule over top of it. God presides over heaven's court. He pronounces judgment on heavenly beings. God stands in the divine assembly, and he pronounces judgment among the gods. There are two other translations to it. Let's continue in verse 2. This is directed to Israel. How long will you judge unjustly? unrighteously 
and show partiality. And that is the concept of to lift up, to bear, to carry, to take to the wicked or the criminal. And then Selah is, is a sort of a musical interlude or interlude or pause. Give justice, so that's the concept of vindicate to the lowly and the fatherless or orphan. Maintain the right to be just or righteous of the afflicted. Afflicted, humbled, wretched, needy, poor. You can read them all this for yourselves. Lowly and the destitute. To be poor, to be in want. Lack, to be in want or hunger. So a different word for, de- for poor here, destitute. That lacking of, unable to do for yourself. To escape, to save, deliver. Rescue. Rescue the weak. So we're back to the poor and lowly one. To the needy, in want, needy, deliver. Snatch them away from the hand of the wicked or criminal or guilty one. So again, we have to be just means that we are action-oriented. You can't be just and not get involved in someone else's life and stand up for them. And this is what Israel was again and again getting themselves into trouble. Just a couple quick as we end off. Malachi 2.17. And you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? So, you have toiled, I, I've, I've, you have wearied me, you have toiled me, you've labored me, says the Lord. And your words are speech, but you, by your words with speech, but you have say, tongue twister, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who is evil, who is bad, is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of El- or Elohim? of justice. That verse speaks so much to what we go through today. There is a church in London that one time used to be evangelical, and they painted out these doors. They call them their pride doors. At the one end, at the beginning of the pride doors, if you're to go by it, is a door which they say coexist, and it has the symbols for every other religion or belief in the world on it, painted on a white door in black as logos. How we weird him? Everyone who does evil is good. Their declaration is that all of this is good, even though God says it's not good. That's what they're talking about. When you start seeing different things like this, the same thing with the Wade versus Roe versus Wade decision in the States. And, and it's like all that decision did was send everything back to the States. It, it didn't make anything. It, Canada, we don't even have an abortion law. People say, well, no, there's no abortion law in Canada. There hasn't been since the 80s. People take what is evil and say that it's good. We have flipped things around, and as a church, we've got to stop flipping things around. We've got to stay with what Scripture says, and we have to be the ones reaching out to our community and standing up for justice. Uh, You have worried me with your words. You have worried me 
Um, you ask, you've weird. I'm not going to go through all that. I just want to say this. This is a corporate judgment, not just an individual thing. So when we read about it, not everybody in Israel would have twisted things around. It always talks about there being a remnant. So they were being judged not as individuals, but corporately. Right? And we have to remember that. Proof of this is a response um, to protecting life, biblical sexuality, and, and look at all the excuses. So we as a nation and as people will be judged corporately for what happens around in our world around us. And we may suffer because of God's judgment and what's happening at a corporate level. Now, we're not Israel, so there's some differences there. But some of the fallout certainly going to hit the church in this, and, and we have to expect that. The last verse, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So we're going to end on this one. And he has told you, so he's made known to you, O oh man, what is good, what's pleasant, what's acceptable. What does God require of us? What does he seek for us to be but to do justice? That's the concept, be able to do judgment and carry on the ordinances properly, to love kindness. So that's that said again, that's goodness and faithfulness. We are to love goodness and faithfulness to walk humbly, that concept of humility and lowliness in ourselves with our God, Elohim. Again, that's the plural there. There is so much wrapped up in, in that verse. O people, the Lord has told you what is good and, what, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God or the Christian standard. Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. I want to end with this. This is a quote, and uh, Daniel Green had this in his Micah. Christian social action must begin with a proper understanding of God, who is righteous. Some in the contemporary church have minimized doctrine orthodoxy in their admirable concern for social justice, resulting in a weakening of sound theology. Evangelicals, on the other hand, have held tenaciously to basic doctrine while sometimes being unconcerned with the social implications of their faith. Believers should understand that to walk with the righteous God of the Bible requires both. Yan and I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. And it comes down to this. There are people in our world that live lifestyles and have chosen to live lifestyles contrary to Scripture. And in the past, the church has been very much, because they're very outspoken, can be very much, treat them in disdain, and, and, and treat them viciously back as they sometimes treat the church. And I think what it's calling for here is that if we are doing justice, while we still realize that their particular lifestyle or how they're choosing to live is sinful and it is incorrect, the question is, do we still treat the person, even in sin, with dignity? 
because there are some sins that, you know what? Sometimes as believers, we can just, okay, this sin is not quite as bad as that sin, now is it? And that's not the case. Sin is sin, and sin separates us from God. And we are all once called out of the darkness to light. So part of justice demands that we hold tenaciously to our doctrines, that you come to faith by Christ, and out of your coming to faith by Christ and the forgiveness that you receive, that a heart that's overwhelming in, in love with Jesus Christ will seek to live in obedience. That life of obedience is proof of that salvation. And that we, yes, we dislike and, 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 and do not endorse these sinful habits, lifestyles, uh, just as we don't endorse somebody bank robbing and all the rest of that stuff. But we still have to embrace with love and kindness those that are lost, no matter where they find themselves. And we've been guilty of finger-pointing, and we've not been very good at this at times. So we can't give up our doctrine to show love. We have to learn to hold our doctrine and show love. And that's what he's saying here. You can agree or disagree with that. That's how I see it. We can't lose our doctrine, but we still have to love and I know they don't like that, hate the sin, but love the sinner. But somehow, by God's grace, I believe that's what we're called to do. But we do it kindly. You can disagree with people kindly, or you can make fun of them and treat them badly. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world that is very much upside down, where they are calling wrong right and right wrong and uh, Father, we pray for the unborn in our lands, both, well, we pray for the unborn around the world. Uh, Father, we thank you for the Christians and agencies and, and families that have stood up to say, I'll take a child. They've stood up to say, I'll open the doors so I can help a young mother. Father, help us in all that we do, whether it's with a pregnancy or someone who chooses to live a lifestyle contrary to biblical sexuality or somebody who chooses uh, not to be married and to cohabitate. Uh, Father, Scripture calls all these wrong, and we're not going to bend on what Scripture says. We will still always believe that they are wrong, but we too live lives of darkness and we're cut off from you. And Father, you saw in us, we don't know what, but you reached out and you so love this world that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to open a door and open a path of salvation for us. So, Father, as we look at others around us, help us to see people in need of Jesus Christ and that we are called to treat people with dignity and love. And, Father, to understand justice demands that uh, there's action and that when and where available, we can stand up and to be a voice uh, for the fatherless, for the orphan, for the widow, for the person that just cannot speak for themselves. And Father, sometimes that makes us uncomfortable in understanding how all of this fits together in loving somebody that is living contrary to Scripture. Uh, 
But Father, you loved us when we were living and still live contrary to you at times. So Father, give us the grace we need to be righteous and just, to love those that are unlovable, not just because they're lowly, but those who are unlovable because of the sins they live with. And Father, help us to understand that you died for them too and that we are to share Christ's love with them. Give us the strength we need to do that. It's too easy to shun them and much harder to love. We thank you for the words in Scripture tonight and just for the opportunity to look at this word justice. In Christ's name we pray, amen.